0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is BELIEVE. have the You can feel the passion, the emotion. Welcome to Believe in Borussia episode number 14. I'm your host Tilo, and thank you for tuning in to your weekly dose of black and yellow. In this week's wonderful episode, we will have a look at some of the news around Borussia Dortmund, a quick Eurowatch, and then we will honor one of the most important people at BVB with a little retrospective. But before we get to that, just a quick word from our sponsors at BetOnline. The month of June is heating up with a ton of exciting sports action and BetOnline is where you can find it. From the Euros to basketball and hockey playoffs to baseballs, marquee matchups, including prop bets and futures. BetOnline has all the latest odds, news and information for all your online sports betting needs. So, visit their website today or use your mobile device to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. So, before the next kickoff, tip up, face off, or pitch, head on over to Bet Online and start playing today. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. The Golden Boy shortlist popped out last week and there's some heavy Bundesliga and BVB action on it. Four players rocking the black and yellow are featured Jude Bellingham, Yusufa Mukuku, Gio Reyna and Jesus. That's quite impressive. And Jude actually has a real shot to become the third BVB golden boy in the last decade, joining Haaland and Götze. So, exciting young talent indeed. Borussia well, Dortmund also dropped news on their preseason dates. The first time you will see BBB in action this upcoming season will be July 13th. And then on the 17th, they will play Duisburg and Bochum again, just like last year. And the training camp will be in St. Gallen, Switzerland, again just like the years before from July 23 to the 30th and they will also face Athletic Bilbao and FC Bologna in Switzerland. I'm pretty sure you will be able to catch these games again on YouTube, so if you need to fill that summer void, there you can go and get your fix. And at the Euros, the overall fate of Dortmund players has been pretty decent. Um, The German players luck ticked up on Saturday Unfortunately, at the expense of Rafa, but maybe that's a good thing for us, considering that Real Madrid and Ancelotti were rumored to take some interest in him. And it was very nice to see Axel Witsel play a full game. It's great to see him back after such a severe injury, and he should be fit and ready for training camp, which can only be good for us. Thorgan Nazar got a full rest, and Thomas Munier came on late. I'm also super happy for Delaney and his Danes. Confronted with so much adversity, they dug so deep together as a team and played a fantastic game against Russia, so well-deserved to the Danes, and I think they might be now the dark horse for the tournament because there's not a more tight-knit group than Denmark right now. This level of adversity and overcoming it together just binds you together. Manuel Akanji and his Swiss are still crossing fingers that they might go through, and it doesn't look too bad after some of the results yesterday that they will indeed qualify as one of the four best third place teams in the group. So let's see about that. On the other hand, one of Dortmund's biggest stars hasn't even seen a single minute of playtime at these Euros. I am of course talking about Jaden Sancho and his case is symptomatic for what's wrong with the English team. People were disappointed with the performance against Scotland but i'm not surprised every odd tournament or so a bunch of young english players get blown up to superstardom by the media power and the platform of the premier league and why isn't Sancho playing then well because the pundits on english media have talked up the talents of foden and mount to stars that they're really just not yet does anyone remember daley ali He was running around in a commercial with Tony Kroos and Messi and Marcelo. The latter are multiple Champions League winners, World Cup winners, bestowed with the highest honors in global soccer. And Ali's claim to fame? Well, he was young in English. That was it. It happens every tournament. Well, Jaden is young in English and talented, so why isn't he playing? What's the difference? Well, Foden, Mount and Sterling, who have been gobbling up all the minutes... There are three players from the English Premier League, two from the English champion and one from the Champions League winner. And next in line is Grealish, who also got jezzed up to unbelievable heights for playing at Aston Villa and almost making the Champions League. His seven goals in 27 games in England are apparently worth more than 16 contributions in 38 games, including Champions League for Sancho, in a campaign that has to be considered whether on his lower end of potential. But Grealish is a white English player in London, rocking a hairband and a boy group cut like we haven't seen since David Beckham. So talk about a poster boy. Everyone keeps saying Jack Grealish. He's so popular up here. Next up, Marcus Rashford. Because if you're the England manager, you cannot ignore Manchester United's best young English player. But if the Premier League is so superior, then why are England's performance so mediocre? Well... Everything that makes the Premier League so great is distinctly not English. And it starts with the foreign TV money that floods the league and it ends with the international stars it buys. There is a bias. It was all over the news with the English Champions League final. But where is the key personal from? Who leads these teams? Thomas Tuchel. Pep Guardiola. Who scored the winning goal in the Champions League final? Kai Havertz. Who is the MVP of that team? Kanté. City's best player is Kevin De Bruyne. And in the league, the player of the season was probably Ilkay Gundogan. Foden and Mount had a fantastic year, no doubt about it. But neither would be considered, even by the English media, to be the key cog on either team. When Liverpool won it two years ago, they had two English players in their starting eleven, Henderson and Arnold. On the sidelines and that All-English final, Jurgen Klopp and Pochettino. The goalscorers were Egyptian and Belgium. And the man of the match was a Dutch player, Virgil van Dijk. The arguably best English player right now, Harry Kane, failed to make a mark on that match. I could go on, but you get the idea. England is good, but they are not as good as they are made out to be by the English-dominated soccer media. On the club level, they can fill the gaps with foreign talent from coaching to players. This bias distorts the perception and the level of expectations on any England team at any tournament. Yes, there's lots of talent, but how can you seriously think that a team that hasn't even won its opening game in nine tournaments until this tournament would be the runner-up favorite behind France? The weird relationship of media expectations, desire, and bias is on full display even after the match when Craig Burnley celebrates a very dire Scotland for winning a point against England that puts them in last place in the group. It didn't give any indication of why they would be able to beat Croatia and move on to the next stage. But at the same time, slamming England, who are sitting pretty good in that group with four points, having arguably played the two toughest games already. Both of these points only make sense if you're assuming England is a soccer superpower that on the one hand has to play everyone off the pitch with the talent that they have, which on the other hand makes even a point a great accomplishment in soccer. But England isn't a soccer superpower. That takes years to build. Right now they have talent and they have the potential to be good. But are they better than, say, Portugal? You know, the defending champions that have actually added talent since the last time? Shouldn't they be considered more favorable than England? Yes, England has the potential to play better if they start looking left and right and looking at guys like Jadon Sancho and start realistically assessing the talent that they have on your squad, understanding what they're capable of and what they're not capable of instead of pretending and dreaming that everybody is better than they is and then being surprised when things don't work out on the pitch. Rashid Wallace always used to say, ball don't lie. And case in point, England is sitting at the top of the group with four points They're good, and thus, getting out of the group with four to seven points is a realistic level of expectation. They could even go on to do more, but to do so, they need to pull together instead of thinking they can just rely on talent alone, especially if they let one of their biggest ones wither away on the bench because no one has seen them play yet. And if anyone thinks this is a ploy to help lower the asking price from Borussia Dortmund for Jadon Sancho, they're mistaken. Yes, the Premier League has lost a lot of money. Per Deloitte, in the 2019-2020 season, the Premier League lost a combined $1.4 billion. But you know what? The year before, the Premier League also lost almost $300 million. It's just part of the big team's business model, really. Reporting losses and then raking in cash. And United is one of those teams. Over the last six years, Manchester United has reported a loss three times, so that's 50%. Even without COVID, every summer they spend big money. They dropped $210 million on Fernandes, Maguire and Bisaku in one summer. They dropped $65 million on Fred in 2018, $93 million on Lukaku in 2017, $115 million on Pogba in sixteen. My point? United can still afford it and they'll be alright. Even in 2020, they still turned over a tidy $500 million. United is more than capable of paying the money. And unlike Southgate, Borussia Dortmund knows and cherishes the value of Jadon Sancho very much. This Monday was the 62nd birthday of someone pretty important in the history of the club. He's been a club member for 25 years now, and he's probably in the top 10 that's right, top 10 of most important people in the club. Up there with Franz Kobe, Zorg Raubal. I'm talking, of course, about Hans-Joachim Akivatzke. His birthday and the fact that he's getting a ton of flack from a bunch of wannabe soccer managers that don't know two things about him and whine about Watzke not begging straight Messi's and Ronaldo's for 200,000 a pop. Is reason enough to dedicate some time to one of the most influential figures in the club's 111 years history. Aki Watske is about as straight and narrow as they come. He's a step by step, don't bite off more than you can chew, and if you want something, you gotta work for it kind of guy. He is also a realist and sometimes even strikes me as a cynist, but in soccer terms, that translates into his personality knowing that he has to keep up with the Joneses in certain areas, but I think it's very important to him to pick his spots and not over-leverage himself or the club. He's not a flashy guy, not a braggadocious, look-at-me-here-I-come type of president that postulates big visions and even bigger promises though he does have a sharp tongue that has gotten him into trouble more than a few times. He's taken a few swipes at Bayern over the years, for example, uh, most famously questioning the worth of winning a championship there, saying that only 3,000 people show up to celebrate it and maybe 1,500 tourists. Or things like, tradition is important, if you walk up to the Betzenberg, that's the legendary kaiserslautern Stadium, and a 70-year-old flips you the bird, I love that. See, it's that kind of attitude that lets you know his pro-fan, pro-standing terrorist, pro-affordable season ticket pricing isn't just talk and populism. He is pro-50 plus one and he has con the current split of TV revenues. In favor of the big draws in the leagues like Borussia Dortmund, Schalke, Cologne or even Bayern over, say, Hoffenheim, Leverkusen and Wolfsburg who all got sugar daddies or corporate backing and in his mind, don't pull the weight of fan engagement. Needless to say, that got him some backlash too. Commentators called him a populist. And on that same shareholder meeting where he dropped dead in 2010, he also got on record saying, Wolfsburg, they have 136 traveling fans and maybe another 100 watching on Sky. We have 3.7 million fans. Well, over the last 11 years, a few more million fans were probably added, while Aki Watzke toned it down a little bit. I don't think he's confrontational. He's just very protective. And he takes things hard. It's legendary how pessimistic he is around BBB games. He would lock himself into an office or a restroom, run out of the stadium. If you see him on TV after a big, tight game, he looks like he just got a heart attack. I mean, being the CEO for Borussia Dortmund has probably not been too kind to his aging process. And yet, he's still at the helm, strong as ever. Watzke was born in a small town in rural Hilly-Sauerland. You can think of backward Pennsylvania. He studied business and worked for a protective garment company. But at 30, after six years, he figured, you know what, I can do better than that on my own and started his own protective garment company Vatex Protective Gear Limited. It is still headquartered in that same very small town where Watzke was born and it became a market leader and is today run by his son and wife. Entrepreneurship, family values, and solid budgeting and growth. All these things impact his managing style till this day. Like his father, who served in the state senate, Aki Watzke is a CDU member the Christian Democratic Union, is a center-right party and political home of Chancellor Angela Merkel. In the late 90s, word of his business acumen got around after he became a member in 1996, and the solid budgeter from the small town became the BVB treasurer in 2001. I gotta say, I really wonder how that looked like working for a manager in Michael Maya that spent money like it was going out of style, and then having a president who, well, seemed to be more interested in being the grand president than actually looking very closely at what the club was doing. It just sounds like there were already worlds colliding. And when things came crashing down, after the club got caught off in a, well, snowball-type scheme of needing to secure future Champions League revenues or current wages and transfer fees, Watzke had to step up. On the brink of bankruptcy, he rolled up his sleeves, got to work, And then he realized it was all much worse than he initially expected, despite being the treasurer. So he set up a five-year plan, sold off the team's best assets, reduced personal costs from 60 to 30 million to squeeze it into their 85 million turnover. Borussia survived and thanks to Watzke, got back on his feet. Fast forward to the present and under his leadership, BVB grew its turnover to 550 million and brought the personal budget up to $210 million, which now allows BVB to attract much better talent and also hold on to it. Speaking about holding on to players, if you really want to measure the impact of Watzke and visualize the growth that the club enjoyed under him, just look at the change in transferring players. After losing key players year after year for very little money, BVB has now found the financial strength to hold on to players and bind new ones. Think about it. After winning that first championship on the club, the player of the season, Nuri Shaheen, was transferred to Real Madrid for a paltry $12 million. The following year, Japanese sensation Shinji Kagawa, Manchester United, $17 million. The year after that, prodigal son Mario Goetze, $40 million to... Bayern and then the year after Lewandowski left for free. But despite losing a key player every summer, the team was now strong enough to not drop back to pre-club levels and qualify for Europa and qualify for the Champions League every season to secure its future growth. The challenge at that point became solidifying the growth and spending the money more smartly. And it becomes trickier the higher you rise because there are less players available in that pool that can actually help you. Well, after Lewandowski, the Hummels' transfer sucked more on personal reasons than on sporting reasons, in my opinion. The team didn't fall apart. They won the cup without him under Tuchel and actually played decent soccer. The downfall of that team was probably more the attack on the team bus than any player leaving. The key player on that team was Ousmane Dembélé. He was a difference maker and the absolute top talent. And this time, when teams came knocking for him, he wasn't to be let go for 12 millions. Nor did anyone in Dortmund think, oh, that's an automatic transfer, we gotta let him go because Barcelona is asking. When Shine left, a lot of fans were like, ah oh, man, I love Shine, but hey, it's Real calling, you know, I understand. By now, the needle had shifted so much that people were like, no, I don't care if it's Barcelona or the Queen of England knocking, we don't wanna let our players go anymore. So Barcelona had to cough up $150 million. And since then, Borussia Dortmund hasn't transferred a single player that they weren't ready to sell and replace. So the big accomplishment of the pitch for Aki Watzke is that he turned Borussia Dortmund from broke to flush and closed the convenience store for talent. The pool of clubs that are realistic takers of BBE's top players has shrunken from maybe 20 to like 5. And even those five have a hard time now getting talent. Bayern Munich can't touch BVB stars right now because they're way out of their league when it comes to transfer fees. And Borussia Dortmund is paying decently now. Bayern could quadruple Lewandowski's income easily without even missing a beat back in 2014. But now if he would double Haaland's wage, that would make him the top earner at Bayern, which complicates matters for Bayern were very keen on maintaining a sort of income hierarchy as you could see with David Alaba, who they let go despite wanting to hold on to him because he was asking for too much money and they weren't willing to pay him Müller or Neuer money. So this is some immense ground that BVB covered under Watzke. And that also includes investments into new business verticals, the new training facility in Brackel, the fan world in front of the stadium, and most importantly, under his leadership, Borussia Dortmund won two German championships, three German cups, and made it to the Champions League final. Hans-Joachim Watzke has steered the club from bankruptcy to its most successful decade and into the top 12 in the world. Let's hope the team can add another title or two before his contract runs out in 2025. Like everyone, Hans-Joachim Watzke isn't perfect and he's done some mistakes. But he's done so much more right for the club that he loves since he was a boy. I tip my hat and salute and thank you for that. Happy birthday from New York, Hans Joachim Watzke. Thanks for listening again to Believe in Borussia presented by Bad Online. Make sure to tune in next week again. We are working on a special fun guest so that should be a great episode to listen again. And until then, a black and yellow shout out across America.